We are kicking off a new series called Step Up, uh, parentheses, you too can be like Stuber. That's his last name, by the way. Uh, we are excited about this new series. It's time to step up. My wife and I had the chance this weekend to go down to Mankato. Uh, did anyone else make a trip down to Mankato this week for uh, uh, any, any reason, but maybe to check out training camp for the Vikings? Couple, yeah, yeah. So the Vikings have their training camp down in Mankato. It's their last year there. We actually went to go eat ribs and listen to music, uh, not for the training camp. But I know the Vikings have their training camp down there. We saw the signs everywhere for that. And this is the season in the NFL when teams are coming together and they're kind of getting back into shape and saying, you know what? Fall is coming. We got to step up and take it to that next level. So that's kind of what August is going to be for us. Uh, this is kind of like training camp, re getting ready for the fall, for what God wants to do in us and through us this fall. So what does that mean? That means we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at some of the spiritual disciplines. These are things that God has given us to help us on our spiritual journey to be more like Jesus, to help us step up our walk with him, to be more like Jesus. A couple years ago, I was on my way to a wedding, and this was actually quite a few years ago before we had cell phones, uh, and uh, I was on my way to the wedding, and you ever been that where you, you notice you have really low gas, and you're like, can I make it? Can I risk it? I don't know. And uh, I was like, you know what? This is too close. Uh, I got to get gas before going to the wedding. And so I, I get on the off-ramp, head towards the gas station, and that's when I run out of gas and my car dies. <laughs> On my way to a wedding, I'm in a full suit, uh, no cell phone, uh, no gasoline, and no gas can in my trunk. Uh, so I have to run in my suit up the uh, exit, exit ramp to the gas station, buy a little gas can, which I still have today, fill up my car, and get it refueled so I can get to where I'm supposed to be. How many of you guys feel like when you look ahead to the, the fall and everything that you know you've got going on, you feel a little bit like you've run out of gas and you need to be refueled? Anyone else feel that way? Yeah, that's how I feel. And so today we're going to be asking, how do we get refueled? And Jesus has given us some tools on how we can get refueled so that we can get to where we need to go, so that we can do what we need to do. See, the desperate need today is not for people who are smarter, people who are stronger or more gifted people. I think the need of today is for deeper people. People who are deep in Christ. Amen? This week I did a lot of studying on uh, spiritual disciplines and into an area, honestly, that I'm not an expert. So when I'm up here this morning uh, as your pastor, I'm no expert in this. I am learning right alongside you. And so I'm going to ask you, hey, keep me accountable. Hey, Eric, how do you do with this this week? And I'm going to do the same thing for you guys. And so this week, as I was reading and studying, got to read a lot of great books. Uh, one of the books I would encourage you, uh, if you want to check it out, Celebration of Discipline, written by Richard J. Foster. And I, I want to share uh, a quote from the book. He says this, We must not be led to believe that the spiritual disciplines are only for spiritual giants and therefore beyond our reach. Far from it, God intends the disciplines of the spiritual life to be for ordinary humans, people who have jobs, who care for children, who wash dishes and mow lawns. In fact, the disciplines are best exercised in the midst of relationships with our husband or wife, our brothers and sisters, our friends and neighbors. He says 
These aren't things just for the mystics or just for the pastors or just for the super spiritual. These spiritual disciplines help us to step up wherever we are on our spiritual journey. We like to say around here that growing people change. That no matter where you are on your journey, whether you're still just checking out the claims of Jesus, we have a bunch of people here who are still like, I'm not so sure about this whole Jesus thing, and that's awesome. We have people who've been walking with Christ for decades. But wherever you are, there's a next step for you to take. You can step up to that next step. And wherever you are, we struggle with sin, with temptation. And our ordinary method, I think, for dealing with sin and temptation in our lives is to launch a full frontal attack on it. You know, we rely on our willpower and determination. We think, man, if I just try really, really hard, I can stop, you know, saying bad things with my tongue. I can stop gossiping. I can stop, you know, treating my kids this way. I can stop looking at porn if I just try really, really hard. See, the problem with that, though, is that if we can defeat our sins simply through willpower alone, that's only going to lead us to pride. It's only going to lead us to worship our willpower instead of acknowledging that we can't change ourselves. Amen? It is God who changes us. And see, God has given us these spiritual disciplines, these spiritual practices as a means of receiving God's grace. They're the way that we can place ourselves in the right place so that God can transform us. Not that we try really hard by our willpower to just power through and be better people. But God's given us these spiritual acts, these spiritual practices, so that we can be in the right place, with the right heart, the right mind, so that then God's Spirit can come in and do His work. It's like this. A farmer is helpless to grow grain, right? All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of grain. He can cultivate the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the plants. And then the natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the grain. It's the same with the spiritual disciplines. These are a way of sowing into the spirit. The disciplines are God's way of getting us into the ground so they can work within us and they can transform us. But here's an important thing to know. This is super important. That these spiritual disciplines themselves don't transform us. They don't, by themselves, produce change in us. It's only, they only place us where the change can, can occur, by God. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write that down. This is very important. We don't want to lift these spiritual practices up on some pedestal saying that the, the, the way to be transformed is, is, is meditation is going to change us, or prayer is going to change us, or these things. It's, they don't produce the change in us, but they get us to the place where God's Spirit can change and transform us, all right? This is super important as we go into this. Thank you. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German pastor during World War II and actually ended up going to a concentration camp. He wrote a, a great book called The Cost of Discipleship. He says it this way, grace is free, but it is not cheap. You can meditate on that. The grace of God is unearned and unearnable, but if we ever expect to grow in grace, we must pay the price of a consciously chosen course of action, which involves both individual and group life. Spiritual growth is the purpose of the disciplines. I think we all want to get better. We all want to improve. 
those of us who are Christ followers, our hope should be that we want to be more like Jesus. But the great Russian writer Leo Tolstoy says it this way, everybody thinks of changing humanity, but nobody thinks of changing himself. (laughs) We all want to change the world, but we don't often look at ourselves and say, what do I need to do to change? Let's be those who believe that inner transformation of our lives and allowing God's spirit to work inside of us is a worthy goal. So it's time to step up. Amen? All right, so buckle up. Let's get going. We're going to be in Luke still. For those of you who are keeping track, this is episode 33 in the book of Luke. Amen. Praise God. We love books of the Bible here at Mosaic, right? So we are chapter 10, 33 weeks. We've made it to chapter 10. All right. So we're going to be in the next couple of chapters of Luke, diving into some spiritual practices. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 10, verse 38 uh, through 42. And today we're going to meet two sisters, Mary and Martha. And my hope today, as we study God's word, that each of us can have the humble, teachable heart of Mary. And for those of you type A people like me, my hope is that, uh, unlike Martha, we don't find ourselves checking our phone or our to-do list or uh, maybe, you know, letting go of any anger that if you're a type A person and your spouse drove this morning and, you know, took the wrong way to church and you got here a little late, you know, you let that go. Amen. All right, so for all the Marys and all the Marthas in the room, we're going to dive in here. Ready? We're going to study two fantastic women today. Uh, Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Uh, Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for this story of Mary and Martha. God, we pray that our hearts would be open and receptive to receive your truth. God, that uh, these would not be my words, that they'd be your words. And God, that we would just know to how to take the next step in our journey with you. Amen. Now, how many of you would be kind of freaking out, maybe like Martha, if you heard Jesus was in town with at least 12 followers, probably more, but at least 12, so 13 people or more, and Jesus needs a place to stay, a place to eat, and then you find out he's coming over to your house, like this afternoon. Like, how many of you would be a little freaked out if all of a sudden you've got an extra 13 people for lunch? Yeah, yeah, me too, right? Uh, you know, I think Martha's thinking, like, Jesus can't come over here. Like, I'm in my sweatpants. I haven't showered yet today. Anyone else can relate? You know, uh, I've had a shower today. But, you know, maybe she's thinking, i got nothing to eat. So Martha's, like, going through all her cupboards. She's going through the fridge. Have you ever been there? Like, you're smelling stuff in the fridge. Like, is this still good? You're like, I don't know. Because she's freaking out. She's like, what if I feed Jesus something that's not good and I kill him? What happens to the universe? Like, I don't know. He's the son of God. Like, she's got this whole thing going on. And she's freaking out. I mean, this is a lot of pressure. Maybe, maybe some of you can identify with Martha. That pressure of it's got to be right. I've got to go do something. If you're like Martha, you can't sit down. 
This is how you can tell you're like Martha. You have people over to your house, and you sit down to talk, and you're like, oh, hang on a second. That picture is crooked. i got to get up and straighten it. And you sit down. Okay, what we're talking about? Oh, wait, that picture's d- dusty now. Let me dust it off real quick. Then you sit back down. Oh, wait, I forgot to add milk to my grocery list. Okay, let me write that down. You, then you, you, know, you keep getting up and down, up and down, up and down. I know some of you are out there like that. You know who you are. Yeah, yeah, you're like Martha. That's okay. That's Martha. Now, Mary, Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. She says, teach me the Bible. Instruct me. I want to grow my knowledge of, of the word. Mary, her concern is relationships. She's like, did I get my time with Jesus? Did I sit at his feet? Did I listen? Did I learn? Was I humble? Was I teachable? How's my relationship with Jesus? See, Mary is thinking about her relationship. Martha's more worried about her responsibilities. Mary's thinking about her relationship. Martha's more worried about her responsibilities. Martha's the gal with the never-ending to-do list. Now, sometimes... We bash on Martha, especially us pastors, and we're like, Mary's amazing. Martha, boo. That's not it, okay? I don't want to bash on Martha, especially because I think I'm a Martha. So it's fine, right? Uh, We need both Mary's and Martha's. Otherwise, like as a church, there would be nothing set up, right? We need some Martha's to come in here and be like, we got to get going. We need a sound system set up, you know? Here's the thing about Martha. Like, she's great. Who is the one that goes actually and invites Jesus into her home? It's Martha. Mary gets the, the, the reap the reward of Martha inviting Jesus into her, her home. Now, we don't know whose home it is, but the Bible says it's Martha's. She might be the one. Maybe she's working the job, and, and she's, you know, bought a house, and she invites her sister Mary, who likes to just sit and daydream all day to live with her, you know? So Martha, like, gets things done. It's good. We need both Mary and Martha. I think a lot of us, we either identify... A little bit more with Mary, contemplative and, and, and sitting. Or Martha's, like, we're very active, we got to do stuff. And those of you like Mary, you're going to be drawn more to the spiritual disciplines that are more the contemplative ones, silence, prayer, journaling. And maybe those things come easy to you. But if you're like me and a Martha, those are really tough. Like, man, to sit still and journal and, and do these things. And so for you, Marthas, you're going to be drawn more to the spiritual practices that are more active, teaching, serving, administrating, fighting for justice, getting things done. All right, let's take a poll here. How many of you identify a little bit more with the active side of got to get stuff done, the Marthas? That's me. Yeah. All right. How many of you are a little more contemplative and you like relationships and maybe you're introverted and you're thinking about it? Maybe not. And uh, so you identify more with the Marys in the room. Yeah. All right. And if you're sitting there thinking, I don't know which one I am, you are a Mary, okay? (laughs) Take it from a Martha. You're a Mary. Now, how many of you Marys and Marthas can get a little annoyed with each other? Yeah, yep, that happens. And if you're a Martha married to a Mary, you're going to have some conflict in your marriage, okay? And and maybe even this morning, yeah, like you're a Martha, and and, and so like me, it's like you got to get to church on time. And so your Mary is sitting there, and she's worried about her relationships and getting dressed and whatever it is, or he is. And so you're late to church, and you're annoyed, and the Mary's thinking, man, we should have spent more time this morning in prayer and, you know, singing some worship songs on the way to church. And as a Martha, you're just like, no, we got to get there on time, you know, get, get there. And so there's sometimes tension between Mary's and Martha's or whatever guys you want to call it, the Martins and Maxes, I don't know if you're uncomfortable with that. But there's oftentimes tension between the Marys and the Marthas of the world. But here, the real problem between Mary and Martha wasn't the workload that Martha had in the kitchen. I'm sure that contributed to the problem here. That wasn't the main issue here. And <laughs> the issue also isn't 
uh, unlike maybe what Dan Brown in the Da Vinci Code said, that both ladies had crushes on Jesus, and so, you know, Martha's jealous of Mary sitting there. Luke gives no hint about that at all. So let's just get rid of that idea whatsoever. But you ready for this? As I was studying this passage this week, when I read this by a commentator who's way smarter than me, I was like, whoa, mind blown. You ready for this? Now, the real problem, the real issue here between Mary and Martha was that Mary was behaving as if she was a man. See, in that culture, there's clear boundaries between male and female spaces, both like literal spaces and, and your roles in culture between what women did and what men did. See, Mary had crossed an invisible but very important boundary within the physical house, an equally important boundary within culture. See, in those days, in the public room where the men would gather, kind of like our living room or family room, that was where the men hung out. Women stayed in the kitchen. So for a woman to settle down among the men was scandalous. Who does she think she is? Doesn't she know that she just to be a well-behaved woman, you know, back in the kitchen where she belongs. To sit at the feet of a teacher was a decidedly male thing to do. Now, when you hear she's sitting at Jesus' feet, don't think like a dog sitting at the feet of like their master, okay? We read about how Saul of Tarsus, who became the great church planner Paul, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel in Acts 22.3. And when, when Saul did that, He wasn't just gazing up at his rabbi like, oh, you're so amazing. I just want to be here. No, that's not why Saul sat at the feet of his rabbi. See, Paul was listening and learning, focusing on the teacher of his master and equipping himself for future ministry. To sit at someone's feet meant simply to be their student. To sit at the feet of a rabbi was what you would do if you wanted to be a rabbi. See, there's no thought here of just learning for learning's sake. Mary had quietly taken her place as a would-be teacher and preacher of the kingdom of God. What does Jesus do? Jesus affirms her right to learn, which would have been scandalous in that culture that separated the men and the women, and women, they're not allowed to do this stuff. See, Jesus ascribes worth and value to both men and women, Jews and Samaritans earlier in this Chapter 10, he tells the great story of, this, of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Jesus affirms both insiders and outsiders. And this isn't based off some egalitarian theology or philosophy, but the overflowing love of God, like a river going beyond its banks to irrigate dry areas that have never felt this before. Jesus isn't simply tolerant of Mary, like, uh, Mary, all right, we'll tolerate you here with the men, that's fine. You have a place here. Tolerance? That's in the world talks about. Jesus talks about love. Jesus talks about ascribing value and worth. Not just tolerating our neighbor. Not just tolerating that person of a different ethnicity and race than you. But loving them. Not just tolerating women and, and being like, yeah, it's fine that they're here. But loving and ascribing worth and value. It's not the same as tolerance. It's costly love and affirming the dignity and value of every human. Amen? See, Mary stands for all those women who, when hearing Jesus speak about the kingdom of God, know that God is calling them to listen carefully so they can speak of it too. See, Jesus invites all of us, 
to sit at his feet, to learn, so that we too can be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus. One of the things I love about Jesus is constantly breaking down the boundaries between who's in and who's out. We saw in Luke 9 that Jesus is turning his face towards Jerusalem because he knows at Jerusalem is the cross. And the cross is why he came to bring freedom, to bring hope, to bring reconciliation for all people who trust and believe in him. And as he is on his way to his cross, he leaves behind villages and families and individuals forever touched and changed who have glimpsed a new vision of the kingdom of God and whom, for whom life will never be the same. That's my hope today, is that as we are touched by Jesus, we would leave changed, that we would leave with a fresh vision of the kingdom of God that says all are invited into the kingdom, that all of us are invited to be proclaimers, to go forth as messengers for our king, proclaiming this good news of the kingdom. You may not be called to be up here on a stage teaching. You may not be called to be back with the kids teaching. But wherever you are, Jesus invites all of us to sit, to learn, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God with a friend, with your children, with a neighbor, whoever that might be. Here's my conclusion. Not to the sermon. That's going to be a long time from now, okay? (laughs) But to this issue is that There are good things about Mary, and there are good things about Martha. I think the point is, Mary first, then Martha second. We want to be Mary first, then Martha. Spend some time with Jesus, and then get stuff done. Worship like Mary, and then work like Martha. Worship like Mary, then work like Martha. We want Mary's heart and Martha's hands, amen? We want Mary's heart and Martha's hands. That's what we want. We want Mary's heart and Martha's hands. And additionally, this is something I think it's good for us Marthas to hear. Is that Jesus is not condemning her. Jesus, he's inviting her. Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha. Do you think Jesus is doing that with like a furrowed brow? Do you think he's giving Martha the stink eye? He's got clenched teeth like, Martha, come on, you know better. Or, you know, like a Brady Bunch, like, Martha, 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 come on. Like, no. I think Jesus, he's having some fun with her. He's like, Martha, Martha, come on. The dishes can wait. Come sit at my feet too. All are invited. I think, I think Jesus missed Martha. See, I think Jesus knew he's on his way to the cross. And Jesus' relationship with Mary and Martha is like a brother and sisters. I think he missed his sister. He's like, Martha. I don't want to have much time left. Come sit with me. Come talk. And I think if you're like me and you're a Martha, and you're used to going, 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 Jesus invites us to sit. He doesn't want to add just one more thing to your to-do list. <laughs> I don't want you to hear any of these, these next couple of weeks, these spiritual disciplines, as, oh, great, i got one more thing to add to my to-do list. I've got, you know, all the things i got to get done. That's not Jesus' heart. He's saying, I miss you. Come, sit at my feet. Let's hang out. And through spending time with me, you will be changed. Jesus misses you. 
But see, in our, in our society, I think we have a couple big challenges that I believe our enemy uses to keep us from sitting at the feet of Jesus. I think three of the big challenges we face are noise, hurry, and crowds. Noise, hurry, and crowds. And see, God has given us the spiritual discipline of meditation to combat noise, hurry, and crowds. And meditation at its most basic level means sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, don't get all freaked out because we're talking about meditation. Like, I know some of you, you're thinking like, meditation, that's some crazy Eastern thing. What are we talking about meditation in church, all right? Meditation is all throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Joshua 1, 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. See, Eastern meditation is more of an attempt to empty your mind. Christian meditation is more about filling your mind. And there's some biblical ideas of meditation. You can write these down if you want. Uh, the first is reading God's word, soaking up God's word, uh, God's law, meditating on it, reading it, thinking about it. The second is reflecting on God's works. We see this all throughout the Bible of God's people reflecting on the amazing thing that God did. Maybe in your life, spending time, wow. God saved me from this. God healed me from this. When I was dry, his spirit came to me and gave me freshness and life. And it's amazing how God spoke to this person when I was having a rough week and they prayed for me. And reflecting on God's works. And the third one, rehearsing God's deeds. In our 20th century, 21st century Christianity, we do a terrible job of this. But the uh, Jewish people would do cool things. Like they'd live in tents for a little while as a reminder that God took them out of slavery and bondage. And for a while, they were a mobile people. Rehearsing God's deeds, that's like taking communion, which we're going to do this morning at the end of our service. It's a reminder of, of kind of acting out the things that God has done for us. Baptism is rehearsing God's deeds by identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection, and then coming back up. But in each case, there's stress upon changed behavior as a result of our encounter with the living God. The idea is that we are changed because God has come in and he's transformed us. And repentance and obedience are essential features of any biblical understanding of meditation. It's the focus on obedience and faithfulness that most clearly distinguishes Christian meditation from other forms of meditation. Christian meditation, very simply, is the ability to hear God's voice and obey his word. It's hearing God's voice and then obeying what he tells us. It's sitting at the feet of Jesus with the intent to not just learn, but to obey, to put into action the words of Jesus. And when we meditate, the perpetual presence of the Lord, which theologians call omnipresence, will move from just some theological dogma that we've read about into actual real-life reality. 
will sense God's presence with us at all times and all places. In the old song, he walks with me, he talks with me, will go from just being kind of a trite song to actual reality. As we go throughout our days, he is walking with us. He is talking with us. Here's the thing about meditation, though, that we learn to meditate by meditating. (laughs) There's no way to just kind of learn it from a Sunday sermon or a book. The only way to really embrace this and get good at it is by doing it. So I want to challenge you this week. Spend five minutes every day meditating. And we're going to talk some how we can do that, but we're going to call this a five-minute challenge. And we're going to come back next week and just say, hey, how many of you guys were able to do the five-minute challenge? Just five minutes a day, spending time meditating. And uh, a couple ways to meditate, and this is from Richard Foster's book, and he gives some great um, ways that Christians have meditated throughout the last 2,000 years. And the first is uh, Latin. It's meditatio scriptorium. I think that's how you say it. I don't speak Latin. Anyone else? I don't know. Okay. Uh, But it's meditation upon scripture. So you can write that down. Meditation upon scripture. And this is different than studying scripture. Meditation is about internalizing and personalizing the passage. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you, accept the word of Scripture and ponder it in your heart. That is all. That is meditation. This is different than studying the word. I wonder what they meant here and getting into it. It's just reading a psalm or a passage of Scripture and just letting that soak up into your heart. When you read that Jesus says, my peace I give to you, you just meditate on that. You don't, how does that work? What does that mean exactly? What's the word for peace here? No, it's just, my peace I give to you. And just reflect on that. One of my favorite ways to meditate upon Scripture is by reading a narrative passage and really live the experience. Apply all your senses. When you read of Jesus teaching by the sea, smell the sea, hear the seagulls in the air, maybe feel the water lapping at your feet, see the crowd, feel the sun on your head, the hunger in your stomach as you're waiting, and then Jesus breaks the bread and he feeds the 5,000. Touch the hem of his garment. When you read of the woman with the issue of blood who reaches out and touches Jesus, think, what would that feel like with the crowds in? Put yourself in the stories. Immerse yourself. Use your imagination. It's okay. God says we can use our imagination to put ourselves into these stories and to hear it and to see it, to smell it, to feel it. That's one way to meditate, is just getting into that story so that it gets into us. Some uh, Christian fathers, mystics would say, take one passage and spend all week on that one scripture. Maybe this week, that's one way you want to meditate, just five minutes. Read a story and then set your phone alarm for five minutes and just put yourself into that story. Slow down enough to really, what does that really feel like? The second is called a recollection or centering down. Recollection or centering down. In our world, we are just hurried all the time. We have instant gratification on our smartphones that we can look up anything through Google, Google or ask Alexa or whatever it might be. But this is a time to become still, to enter into the recreating silence where God can restore us, can renew us, and to allow the fragmentation of our mind 
to be centered. There's a practice that Richard Foster writes about, which uh, we've done something similar here before, but I think it's really helpful. It's called palms up, palms down. And maybe, again, you want to set your alarm for five minutes, and you should spend five minutes and start with palms down. Say, these are all the things I need to let go of. And you say, God, I'm letting go of my anxiety, I'm letting go of my worries, my fears, my anger, my jealousy. I'm letting go of this hurt when my spouse said this to me. I'm letting go when that person didn't respond the way I thought they would. I'm going to let it go. Let it go. And then palms up. Say, Jesus, I need to receive now your patience with my kids. I need to receive your grace because otherwise I'm going to kill my spouse. I need to receive from you some hope for the future. And it's just spend a couple minutes of that actual physical act of, of, of sitting still, I think sitting is good. You can stand too. Get your heart up. Don't slouch. And then just the act of palms down. Because our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our souls, they're all connected. And so when you actually do that physical act, I think there is something there about saying, God, I'm letting go of these things to you. And I'm receiving these things from you. And you're just going to sit in that stillness and allow that still, small voice of God to come into our hearts. And as you are receiving, as you are releasing, there may be different thoughts that come into your head. That's okay. And maybe God is going to speak to you about something. If he does, awesome. If he doesn't, that's fine too. And I talked to a pastor friend, and he gave this great advice. He said, you know, when you're in that moment, you're trying to release these things, and you, and you have these worries. He said, it's helpful sometimes to even think of, okay, that anxiety, it's a leaf, and I'm, I'm picturing it on a stream, and it's going to float away. Some of you now are getting kind of, you're like, this is too weird for me. It's okay. It's okay. But sometimes it's helpful to have that mental picture of, okay, God, wash it away. Wash it away. Wash it away. Set a five-minute timer. Uh, the third one is meditation upon creation. Now, there's a difference between someone who's a pantheist or, or, and thinks that everything is the divine and that God is the trees and the waters and the woods. No. We worship God as the creator who's separate from creation. But you can meditate upon creation with the intent to give glory and honor to God, who our amazing event, inventor who created all of this as a reflection of his glory and his goodness, and he gave us this amazing creation to enjoy. Minnesota is a beautiful state. We have lakes and trees and all these things. So perhaps you want to really look at a tree and just marvel, God, it's amazing how you put that all together or take a flower and you want to just really look at it and just say, God, in the same way that you put this flower together in a certain unique way to bring beauty and glory to you, thank you that you care about me. Listen to the birds. And as, and as you meditate upon creation, we have so many psalms where the psalmist is meditating upon creation and then he just gives glory to God. That can be a way you just get quiet Look at the beauty of God's creation as a way to, to glorify God. And sometimes when we're out in nature and out in God's creation, we can begin to let go of the worries and, and our heart can be stilled. And, and when those troubled waters get stilled, that's when God can speak to us. That's when we're more open to his voice coming in and, and, and telling us things. Be patient with yourselves. 
You're going to learn a new discipline for which you've received no training. And our culture does us no favors to develop these skills. Our culture wants us to hurry and, and be active all the time and always be Martha's, always going, 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 doing, doing, doing. But we need to be like Mary. We need to get away. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus. Say, Jesus, what do you want to teach me? The dishes, the cooking that can wait. We worship first, and then we work. We get filled up, so then we can go be a blessing to others. Because if we try to just do the Martha work on our own strength, we're going to get burned out. We're going to be filled with anxiety. We're going to yell at Jesus and tell him to do stuff, which is not good. Mary first, then Martha. Mary's heart, then Martha's hands. We can't just sit and do nothing like Mary. We need to be filled up so we can be sent out. And this week, again, five minutes, five minutes of just quieting ourselves. And if you want to get into it more, there, like I said, you know, our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our souls, they're all connected. And there are things, I believe, the way God wired us, that as we change our breathing and, and, and we slow it down with deeper breaths, we can connect to God. It's not about just emptying our minds and becoming, you know, you know, uh, you know, a nothingness. It's about connecting with our Creator. It's about saying, "Okay, God, I'm connecting with you. Help me to slow down. Help me get to a place where I can be still." And stillness is really hard for us in our culture. But imagine, imagine what it would look like if each of us could take some time each day to slow down, to be still. Imagine maybe how our families might look a little different. We have a little more grace, a little more patience with our spouse, with our kids. Imagine how we might be better coworkers, a little extra grace, a little extra patience. Let's be a people that's not just about hurry, just about the noise, just about the crowds but it's about Jesus and connecting with him. And we're actually going to give you a chance to do that right now. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And we're going to close with receiving communion. And then we're going to receive an offering at the end of service and sing. And communion is a great chance to slow down, to take a second, and to reflect. And communion is this tangible, physical act where we take the bread as a tangible reminder that Jesus' body was broken for us. And you're going to come down to the table. Because again, our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our souls are all connected. And I think it's good sometimes to get out of our seats, out of our comfort zone, and to come forward, to take that step of faith literally to Christ. And this morning, I want to encourage you to really feel the bread as you dip it in the juice. Feel that. Maybe you take that piece of bread and as you cup your hand under it, you take a minute and you reflect, you meditate, you connect with your creator. And as drips of juice pool in your hand, you think of how our Savior Jesus, he, drips of blood fell from the cross. That he loved us, that he saved us, that he died for us. And here at Mosaic, you don't have to be a member, you don't have to be a partner to receive communion. We just ask that you be willing to remember what Jesus did on the cross. And you would take a minute to examine your heart. Say, God, are there things, are there sins I need to confess? 
there are anxieties and worries I need to give to you. As you come to the table, you have an open heart, open hands to receive from him the things he wants to give to you. Before the band plays, I just want to take a minute and uh, of stillness. And band will just be real quiet. This is good. And uh, let's take a minute to center ourselves and say, God, what do you want to speak to me right now in my mind and my heart? Slow down, slow down your breathing. It's okay. We'll get to lunch eventually. It's all good. But let's slow down. Let's take a minute. And then uh, I'll pray, and then we'll receive communion. So let's just take, let's take a minute right now in prayer.